digital marketing. Today, it's Catherine and Michael Redmond. Hello, and welcome to the Digital Marketer Podcast. I'm your host, Jenna Snavely, and today is part one of a special two-part series. I sat down with Catherine and Michael Redmond, founders of Half a Bubble Out, a full-service marketing agency, and talked to them about their framework for what they call the passion and provision business. In today's episode, we're going to get into first what a passion and provision business is and how they developed the framework. And let me just add, you'll also get some awesome book recommendations along the way. And in part one in particular, we're going to dive deep into the passion pillar, discussing vision, values, leadership, and hiring. All of these elements together are what will breathe life into your business. I really loved this conversation and I hope you will too. Here it is. So you guys are really culture centric. I know, I know that much. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit yeah. about how you came to see that as such an important part of a business. Oh, wow. There's a lot of different moments that have, have occurred. We're kind of wired that way. Mm-hmm. That's really probably one of the biggest things yeah. is we're wired to be really relational. I can, I can we, tell by just this zoom, like, you know? Oh yeah. We love to hang out. I mean, yeah. even when I come into DM, I've, you know, before the remodel and all that kind of stuff, it's like anytime I could find a time to just kind of hang out and talk with anybody and mm-hmm. say hello. And that sounds like I was coming in to be disruptive and, <laughs> well, you and probably probably was. Uh, we need yeah. the breaks, <laughs> but being able to just have relationship, know people, I was half joking with one of our employees the other day that one of the reasons I built the company or I wanted to build the company and we did is because I wanted a team of people that I could hang out with on a regular basis that I liked, (laughs) that I could work on projects with. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't the main reason, but it was definitely like, okay, if you're going to build a business, how would you want to do this? Well, I don't want it to be a remote company because I like the community and, and I love the fact of when you're a team of people working on a project together, there's something really rewarding about it. Mm. Plus, I'm just not that awesome on my own. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and then, you know, so we started the company in 2002. So it's been a a hot minute and it's been through multiple seasons. And after the last great recession, Mm. definitely heading into another one here. But the last one in the 2008-9 framework, we grew 400% during the recession. Wow. In just about 18 months. And it was this crazy niche that made for great dinner conversation. We were selling laser technology to podiatrists to treat toenail fungus. That is so specific. Yeah. It was talk Good about time. niching, right? Yeah. People go, Good you time. need to niche more. I'm like, I'm done niching. It, yeah. I, I, yeah. It's such a that. niche that, that fungus grows there. <laughs> I, well, there yeah, it gets moldy. Okay, yeah. that's good. I I've heard that one. So, so we grew like massively. And one of the things that happened during that time frame was when you're growing like that, we just made some less than ideal decisions. We hired too quickly. We were running too fast. We weren't choosing clients well. We were just saying yes to anyone who came in the door. And we hit a place where like, I can, both of us can distinctly remember those moments of being like, I don't want to come to work. We built this company and I don't like it. I don't like who we're working with. I don't want to cross the threshold Monday morning. This is sucking the life out of me. Wow. Well, and you know how Ryan, over the last few years that I've heard him talk, he'll talk periodically about, we can grow your company too fast. Oh, yeah. Marketers can grow your company. Mm-hmm. And then there's all kinds of other problems. Well, 
we've always smiled whenever he says that because we lived it before we ever met you guys. Yeah. And you're going, yeah. Oh yeah. Can I stand up and give a testimony right now? Because you can. (laughs) Can I get a witness? (laughs) (laughs) You can drive yourself crazy. Yeah. So we did that. And, and, you know, ultimately we grew 400% and then through a series of circumstances that had a lot to do with the technology and the FDA and various other bunches of things, the niche kind of fell off. And so after a two year period, we always say, you know what? We grew the company 200%. In two years. In two years. We were quite We did it by growing 400% and then losing half the business. <laughs> Not the ideal trajectory. But, you know, when all was said and done, the, the overall growth looks really good. <laughs> it's like being in a rocket. You're going up up to the stratosphere. You're terrified. You're afraid you're soiling your pants. And then all of a sudden, it stops for a moment. You're like, okay, I catch my breath. And then you drop like a rock. And you're not really sure where the ground is. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, it was at 2x. And it leveled out. And yeah. things were great. And we didn't have to sell much toenail fungus treatment in the future. We so we so were happy, happy about, about that. that. So <laughs> through that season, we're obviously built to be relational. But we also had a very hands-on experience with what it feels like to be in a company that isn't doing well. And and, mm-hmm. and we were like, okay, this not only is really hard for us, but it also pointed out holes in our own ability to lead and manage and, and make those decisions. So we kind of pulled back and yeah. really said, okay, it's time to retool. It's time to figure out who do we want to be when we grow up? Because it right. isn't that. We had a team, but we hadn't done the best job hiring. Right people, right seats. Yeah, exactly. And some of them were f- fantastic people. They were just in the wrong seats. Mm-hmm. And and then our leadership skills, as much as we thought we were really good leaders. <laughs> we got outpaced. We, yeah, and we realized where our, our gaps were in our leadership. So that, you know, nobody likes to work for somebody who's in a position that is beyond what they should be as a leader. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sucks to have a boss who shouldn't be your boss. And we were those bosses. Mm. And so we had to learn and grow in the midst of that, not only our business skills, but we had to learn more culturally. How do we continue to grow as leaders and handle well? Because we loved the culture, wanted the culture. And right after the recession, in 2010, there was a book published called The Coming Jobs War and Gallup, you know, the Gallup polls. Yeah. They are the ones that published this book and their CEO wrote this book and we read it a couple of years later and were really impacted because it said two things. One, the business failure rate in America and startup rate was really small. The startup rate was small. The failure rate was huge. 80 to 90% of businesses fail. And then it's stated that probably out of the ones that survive, only 4% of them make it to a million dollars a year or more. So there's this growth challenge. We have it in the agency world all over the place. We have it in any kind of business. And the other one was that 74% of Americans are disengaged at work, which means they're basically sleepwalking through the day. They're not bringing their best self. They're not mm-hmm. fully engaged. They don't feel like they're part of something. They don't feel like anybody cares. There's yeah, multiple Punching symptoms. the clock and working for the weekend, you yeah. know? And uh, yeah, and I we theorized because we had gone through some miserable times and running a company can be so hard that that was as true, if not more true for entrepreneurs. And, and is it possible that the uh, 74% of disengaged workers and the business failure rate might be tied <laughs> a little bit too, right? right? So if I'm running a company and just statistically three-fourths of my workers aren't bringing their best selves, mm. then what does that do for productivity? What does that do for 
the morale of the company. I mean, it's it's not a good situation. Yeah. So we took all those things and went, we've got to fix it for ourselves. And then by very nature, being relational and, and being who we are, we're teachers. We love consulting. Mm-hmm. We love to teach. One of the reasons I like DM so much is because it gives us some great material to pass on to people and stuff like that. So we were like, okay, we're going to figure this out more and more. And everything we figure out step by step, we'll just turn around and give it away to as many people as we can that are behind us to help them take the next step, which eventually you walk down that path long enough and you build a course and you write a book and you end up on your amazing podcast. (laughs) So here we are. Well, let's, let's talk about passion and provision because I'm guessing everything kind of ties in together. Yeah. Right. Magically, exactly. somehow. Magically. <laughs> there's a big there's a big picture where this all comes You are together. very astute. You know, very astute, very astute. So, yeah, so passion and provision. Yeah. What do you want to know about passion? Well, first, <laughs> I would say when I think of the words, I think of it as like a descriptor, an adjective for mm-hmm. what a business could be, right? What is a passion and provision business? Okay, really simply, a passion provision business is a way of saying the company is financially successful and can meet all of its financial needs for today and help fund the growth for tomorrow. Mm. And that's provision. And the passion side is that it provides purpose and meaning. It's fulfilling to the leader and to everyone in the company. It's not just for the leader. I read a quote this last week that was something like entrepreneurs are people who take advantage of their health to build a business. And somebody else responded, no, an entrepreneur is somebody who takes advantage of other people's health. Who steps on other people's health to build their to business. Build a business. We're like, uh. And wow. then, and, and we're like, no. <laughs> and one of our students jumped in. He was the one that showed me showed it to me because he jumped in and goes, actually, you can build a company and not step on anybody's emotions or your own and have a healthy life. So the provision hashtag passion and provision. The provision (laughs) side meets all your financial needs for growth and today's needs, which can suck a lot out of you. And it's like that that's what we typically want a successful company. But we forget about all the other things of actually having life, being fulfilled, not going into burnout. Mm -hmm. There's four stages of burnout and a huge amount of entrepreneurs trying to make the first one happen, the provision happen, end up in a place where they're tired, exhausted, and in at least stage one, if not stage two, of burnout. And they're like, why am I doing this? Michael Gerber, who wrote a book called E-Myth several years ago, he made this great quote in the middle of the book that just kind of arrested me probably 12 years ago when I was reading it. And it was this, most people that fail in business don't actually go bankrupt. They probably just get tired of treading water mm-hmm. and then they just close the doors. They're just finally exhausted. And they don't file bankruptcy and they don't and they don't have all these debts everywhere and stuff like that. They just go, we're done. We're making it, but we're never getting ahead. It's killing us. It's sucking the life out of us. Yeah, I thought this would give me more freedom or whatever, this or that, especially entrepreneurs. I thought this would mean I could, you know, work my own hours and choose my own path and have all this freedom. And they're realizing that they're working 12 hours a day. It's sucking the life out of them. And they're not, it's just not fulfilling. Mm-hmm. And the assumption so is they that... Just give up. that yeah. Because of that happening for so many people, they go on their experience or somebody else's experience and they say it's not possible. You, Somebody's got to lose. There's no, I mean, really those statements, those quotes I was sharing is a win-lose 
situation. Somebody has to lose so somebody else can win. And, you know, we talk about and we give lip service in business and in, in the media about having a win-win or a triple win. But there's very few people who know how to do it. And there's a lot of people who aren't sure it can be done. And so passion and provision really is to say it can be done. There is a system. We figured out how to to systematize what we've done and then started testing it with people and go, these aren't unique to us. And just because of our personality, these are things that culture may look different in different companies. It may be if it's an introvert running it versus an extrovert running it, or it's a tech company and, and they build and manufacture software to machinery versus services. Those things might look different, but the undergirding systems and principles are solid and you can have them. You just have to learn them and then become competent. Hmm. So let's start with passion and kind of dig into that. I imagine it's easy when you start because you're passionate about what you do. Right. There's that initial excitement. Uh But how do you keep that going when you start to have to sell and make money and it becomes goals yeah and manage people and yeah how do you keep the passion alive in your business there's two things well three things that are probably important to talk about Mm -hmm. those three things are having a really clear vision we can dig into that a little bit having a business some kind of a business model you don't have to use our model but you have to have a A model model to make sure you're covering the bases and then you have to grow as a leader And when you start with vision, a clear vision, there's lots of ways to define vision or mission or something like that. But a clear vision is really clear, complete and compelling. So and when we say complete, we mean we use the model from good to great that is out there and it's four different pieces to it. Yeah. So it's kind of two halves to the whole. So one half is your core identity which is comprised of your core values and your core purpose. So those two pieces together. So really defining core values, which is, you know, what is it that matters so much to me that if I can't do business this way, I would rather shut the doors than carry on. That's how we define core values. And then core purpose being, what is it that I actually am doing, right? So kind of getting that core identity piece in place. And then the other half of it is called the envisioned future. And that's made up of the BHAG, the big, hairy, audacious goal, and a detailed description. So in other words, if we were to achieve that goal, so a DM, like you guys have the 10,000, double Double, 10,000 companies by, right? Mm -hmm. So that would be the BHAG. The detailed description would be, how does the world look different because that happened, right? Really fleshing out the implications of Bob and Susie who had this business, we helped them double it. And this is how their family changed. And this is what happened. So it's really putting bones and and flesh around that BHAG so that you can begin to just imagine how Mm. does the world change if I achieve what it is I set out to do? Mm. Okay. So if you think about, if you think about vision and you think about really setting that in place and really understanding this is where I'm going, this is what I'm doing, and this is why it matters then that is how you sustain passion. Hmm. Because right off the bat, one of the things that steals passion and steals that energy and motivation so often is you lose your way. Hmm. Like you say things like, I'm just not sure why we're doing this anymore. I just can't remember why I even started this company. Why, why am I? Because so, <laughs> so many entrepreneurs say that. Like, what's, what, 
or what's the point? Mm-hmm. Or you sit in front of the banker two years into your business. Oh, we did this. And the banker looks at you, you know, because I had stepped off a six figure income to join Michael in this business. And we were trying to get a loan back when we didn't understand that you actually have to not need money before you can ask a bank for money. So, you know, that's just important to know. It's in the book. Um, Anyway, it's um, so we sat in front of this banker and she literally looked at me knowing our history and said, I think you probably should just go back and get a real job. Wow. And those are the days. I don't think this is going to work. Those are the days when you're like, shite. Wow. Pardon my French. Like, what do I like? And so the vision, those are the days that just deflate you. You're like, yeah, yeah, maybe I should just that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what? I, mm. And the irony that comes out of that story on the backside is the woman lived three doors down from Catherine's father. And so every time we went to her dad's house, we'd see her in the front yard, something like, like that. <laughs> so for years, she was a reminder <laughs> of that moment where yeah. she's like, I don't think this is going to work. And I'm going to drop off a copy of this book on her porch. I think if she still lives. She's there. a very nice lady. She's a lovely lady. Like, but it was kind of weird. You know, you like, you see this person yeah. who told you, you know, this, your dream is this thing you're doing is, is a waste of time. Yeah. So when you don't have a clear goal of where you want to go long-term, not where do I want to be in three months, but where, where are we really going? And is it a goal that's big enough? Have I dreamed big enough that it matters to me and it's going to matter to other people when I get there? It's not, you know, you know, I want to be a, a gazillionaire who cares you know, and quite frankly, you can make a lot of money and still be miserable and lose everything else. Mm-hmm. So when you have that goal way out there in the horizon and you know your why, why you're doing this and why it should matter, why it matters to people, to your customer, and then a set of core values of, of standards that you say, and this is the way we're going to conduct ourselves because at some point you're going to say, well, I, if you'll behave this way and this way, then, you know, if you'll pad your costs, if you'll steal this, if you'll bend the truth here, you know, if you'll tweak your ethics a little you'll bit. You'll get there faster. You'll get there faster right. and you're never going to make it this way. Yeah. You know, the tortoise never wins, they say. Mm-hmm. So that vision with that four parts, when it's clear, it's complete, and then it's compelling, that's one of the first things that you need. You absolutely need if you're going to start a business or, or keep your business going to maintain your passion and your desire because you got to have that motivation and that'll help. I think too, the other, the other part that matters as we talk about passion, because so often passion is used and it's like this flighty thing. And we're going to say passion is one of those things that you know, it's your passion if you're willing to sacrifice for it. Mm-hmm. If you're not willing to sacrifice for it, if you're not willing to do the hard stuff, if you're not willing to, well, regardless of how you view Jesus, you know, this is, we happen to be recording this during Passion Week, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I was thinking this morning on the way to work, there's this place in the New Testament, I have no idea where, but it basically says that, that he set his face toward Jerusalem. So knowing it was going to be sucky and he probably would die, he set his face because he cared, right? Mm-hmm. So this passion place, the passion of the Christ, this sense of, I care so much about that thing out there that I am willing to set my face to it and keep moving forward. And the other, the other piece that comes to mind for me is that when we talk about passion, we're not talking about you being like happy right. all the time and doing what you love all the time. Mm-hmm. We'll say like, you know what, if, if 51% of the time 
you're doing stuff that's in your gift, skills, talents. You're actually doing the stuff that you were created to do 51% of the time. That's a good starting place to maintain passion. You want to be able to grow from there, but there's seasons where all of us have to do stuff. If we're leading a business, Mm -hmm. we all have to do stuff that isn't like our fun stuff. Right. And you know, it, it's not that I get to do what I want to do all the time, but that sense of I'm willing to sacrifice for this. I understand where I'm going and I'm going to set my face to it. And a good vision, knowing what you're doing, a purpose for it, allows you to work through the hard things that you have to do and turns that kind of work from toil to labor, from something that is you're just toiling and never getting anywhere to labor when the mother is going through this long process of no woman opts in to go through just the labor part. But the fact that they call it labor is because something of great value comes mm. out on the other side of all that hard work. Right. And toil is just the opposite. And if you have a great vision with purpose and meaning, you can remind yourself in the midst of the hard work why you're doing it. And it can actually transform it from pointless toil into purposeful labor. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. yeah. I, I imagine too that when you have that, clear, compelling, complete vision, and you're looking around at a world that's changing, that you're able so much more to change and pivot your business as needed because you know what your purpose is. Yeah. That's a great observation. Really good. Because one of the things you do is you realize if you have that kind of long-term perspective and that purpose, your strategic plan kind of dovetails in with that mm-hmm. because then all of a sudden you're, you know, uh, where we live in Northern California, it's about three hours to Tahoe and you have to start going through the foothills and the canyons and everything else. And every once in a while there's landslides and you'll end up with a boulder or several boulders across the road. And all of a sudden you go, we're not going that way. Okay, Let's we gotta, take a different route. <laughs> we have to turn around, replan, restructure the day. And it's rare. But every once in a while it happens and you until they clear the road, you're going to take another one, that which may take you another couple of hours, but you have to redesign your plan of attack. You're still going Tahoe. You're still going skiing. And at the end of the day, you're still going to have a hot toddy sit in a lounge. <laughs> it's crazy how beautiful and dangerous California is. <laughs> Right? I know. Wouldn't trade it. It's true. More true lately, it seems like. Yeah. So the first part, and Michael said there was three things. Mm -hmm. So the first part is this really this solid vision, because we would say that, that having that vision, if you really have it and you really know it, that builds a resilience in you to keep moving forward Mm -hmm. and to remind yourself to rehearse. I know why I'm doing this and I can see a different future. And so I, and that can, you know, remind us of the passion. And we've all had those moments. And the second um, part is having a detailed model. And for us, vision's at the core of that model. We co- It's a wheel for us, graphic. And the model gives you a chance of saying, okay, so many people who start businesses didn't have business training. Mm-hmm. None of, a lot of us didn't. And, you know, you had little basic things and you thought, I was taught to balance a checkbook or I could intellectualize all day long about what it meant to grow a eight-figure, nine-figure company. <laughs> I can imagine it all day long. <laughs> you, but having a model that really provides a checklist of saying, okay, are you catching things? And for us, those six points start with vision, and then they go to leadership, management, operations, marketing and sales, finance or cash, money, and then culture. And it allows you to kind of walk around the wheel and continue to say, how am I doing in each one of these areas? And then 
as we look in, and unfold in the book a little bit, even more in our course and stuff, it's there's checklists. And you just really, you absolutely need some kind of a system or a checklist in business. And a good business model makes sure that you have, you're catching all the important things. Now, what's different about different business models, there's lots of different ones and there's lots of good ones. But not all the business models allow you to build a culture that's healthy. Not all of the business models believe or, or value a healthy culture or this idea of passion that we talked about. So you need a business model that does that. And that's one of the things we try to incorporate. And leadership before is... You, before you get to leadership. Yeah. I think the other piece that I would say for us is a really key theme in the book is that we want people to be thinking holistically about their business. Mm. So oftentimes... What ends up happening for leaders is that they, they can be reactive as they're building their business. And so they are looking for help, but the help they get is pretty siloed, hmm. right? So I, I need a management consultant hmm. or I need a marketing consultant or I need somebody to help me with my finances or whatever, but they're all sort of siloed solutions. So what we're saying is you got to pull back and begin to think more holistically about your business because ultimately you need to see how these all connect and gain what we would call a minimum competency in each of the core areas of running a business. So do you need to be a CPA? No, but you really do need to be able to read your reports, for example. Right? You need to not be scared of the money. You need to not just think that your day is dependent on what's in the bank mm. and not be able to think longer term and plan and all of that. So we want people to begin to think about what does it look like to develop a working knowledge in each of these areas so that I can effectively create a business, manage the people who are experts in that area, if I'm able to hire them and know how it all comes together mm -hmm. as opposed to just independent thinking and siloed thinking. So yeah, that's part of the kind of part of the message. That makes sense. Too. Yeah, absolutely. The question I want to ask about passion is you have your vision you have your checklist. You're an amazing leader. How are you hiring for people that mm. feel the same about your vision, your ethics, your values, mm. and know what so, they're doing? <laughs> great question. That's a fantastic a question. question. And I, it, this is a fun conversation. Mm -hmm. This really is. One of the things that happens with passion and provision is Strangely enough, it's like a Venn diagram where the circles are overlapping a lot. The same answers, uh, the same tactics, the thing, same things you want to do every day, kind of in a passion and provision company, they dovetail and handle both the passion and provision. When it comes to hiring people, I love our hiring status. And we kind of over the years have evolved it, but part of what we did is one of the things we learned was from a guy named Roy Williams, which you may have heard mm -hmm. of Roy. Yeah. <laughs> Roy lives in Austin. Ryan knows Roy well. Uh, and hang out. That, I think that's actually, that may have been one of the first places we met Ryan was through was Roy. Through, yeah, the wizard. Uh, it was the first time we actually got to know Ryan. And so we're giving Roy a, a bit of credit in the midst of this. Here's what we do. First of all, going back to vision, knowing your core purpose and your core values is really really critical for finding people who are aligned to your purpose and your values. Yeah. So we will mantra with people we're training, you hire, train, and fire to your core values. Mm. All day long. All day long, every day. 
So you know your core values, you live your core values, and you hire, train, and fire to those core values. This is who we are and how we do things. So even in the hiring process, does this resonate with you? Right? So that's a key piece of it. So there's a, a phenomenal book called Speed of Trust. And it's like in the top five books we recommend every leader and anybody else who will read it, they should read this book because it's the best anatomy of trust and gives you a model of how do you talk about trust. And two of the things that come out of that is trust is really broken into two pieces, competence and character. So your core purpose and your core values on the high level allow you to start finding people who are aligned to your core values, aligned that are similar and that you're going to like, you know, we're going to get along okay and everything else. The mistake that some people make in hiring people that aren't a good fit for their company is they hire for their heart. They go, I like you. We all get along. Oh, you seem to value the same things I value and that kind of stuff. Right. Now, that's great and that's important, but you also need to have a clarity on what it is you want them to do. Like and, competence actually matters. Yeah, and there has to be a minimum competency in this core skills, mm. which you know, what is it that, that we as leaders need to do? We need to understand when we start to hire really well, what type of people do we want? What's the position we're hiring for? What are the core skills needed to do that job well? And then what are the core competencies and core skills needed to integrate with our, our yeah, what's the company? character we need, you know, and we need things like good communication. We need things like they're they're good writers if they're going to be doing that, or if they're going to be running a podcast like you, they, they can talk and think on their feet, and and they're good with people, and so on and so forth. And you can walk around your office looking at the different positions, realizing, well, that person's not exactly the best people person, mm. but they don't need to be for their job. They need to be enough that they work with their team. They need to be enough that they're building in the community of the office, but they don't necessarily need to be a salesperson because they're never going to be forward focused in the company. Matter of fact, we all have a couple of people that we would never want to be forward focused, <laughs> in the company, but they're super valuable in the company. So when you're thinking, when we do that, we immediately go real tactical. We write an ad that's becoming a little bit more common we're seeing, but we've been doing it for several years where it's a very long ad and it describes more about who we are and the type of company we are first. And then we actually have a code word hidden in it. So you have to go three-fourths of the way down, find the password. And then when you initially apply, if it's not the subject line. And I was just noticing, Dennis, you was in the studio a couple of weeks ago. They teach this too. And I, it was funny when they first saw it because mm -hmm. I'm like, hey, somebody else does this. That. And it's really good because you, what you start doing is you start creating a tactical step of hiring people that's. Now you've identified what you want them to do, what their minimum competence needs need to be. Mm -hmm. You're trying to figure out how do you assess those? How do you assess culture? But then we look at hiring in a couple of different ways. The first thing is our hiring process from the time you hear about us to the time you get an offer is usually somewhere around five to seven steps. So that's critical because each step has its own purpose. And then from there, I don't consider the hiring process to end at the offer. So if you were to leave Digital Marketer and you were to come over to Half a Bubble Out. <laughs> no, we're not, we're not recruiting her, Ryan. It's just a conversation. <laughs> if it ever happens in the future, it, it was just a conversation today. <laughs> and if you did that, then immediately what happens is we consider the whole first year of working at the company as part of the hiring process. Hmm. 
it's a philosophical shift that's huge. But what it does is as long as we set expectations and we had a conversation with you, then what we're doing is we're saying our job is to, first of all, to take care of this company. Second, we need team members. And then third, we want to make sure that it's a passion and provision experience for us and continue to stay for the rest of our employees. So we protect the company and for you because you deserve that. So this needs to be a good fit for everybody. And part of that hiring process goes, okay, we did our best, but I don't want to order a mail order bride or groom. Yeah. So how do you date? What does that look like? Well, in today's world, you have to pay people when they're working. Those expectations, it's the law, everything else, it's fair. So we consider that first year a dating process, three months, six months, 12 months, If you get past 12 months and you believe that this is a good fit for you and we believe you're a good fit for us, then it's fantastic. But if it's not, the goal was for all of us to figure out. And for us, the goal is to be to a place where it makes sense for all of us that you shouldn't go forward. So we haven't had to fire anybody in years. Because we have had someone come and work like for six weeks and us go, yeah, this doesn't this doesn't feel like a good fit on either side, does it? Mm. No. Wow, what a you know, great and, breakup. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, but you know, cause, we love it because the the interesting part is it is not always easy to figure out in the hiring process if this person is going yeah. to be on a day to day basis the way they're going to present. You know, when they're putting their best foot forward all the time, so that does help because the last thing a team needs, and if it's a small team, it's even more critical. Um, critical is to have someone join the team who is a little toxic, mm-hmm. like that can just wreck the morale and the yeah. culture. Yeah. So we're really protective about that. The other mistake I think people make, not just hiring, I really like this person, so I'll bring them on. The other thing they do is they just hire for competence and they don't care about their character. Mm-hmm. And then you have the genius who's a jerk, right? Right. You know, one of the things that's in your guys' We Believe video is, you know, the whole thing about, like, it's not okay to be a Yeah. And if you're being an a we're going to tell you you're being <laughs> okay, So I love that because that, we don't want to hire, we don't want to hire people like that. We don't want clients like that, but we don't want to hire people like that. Mm-hmm. And we, we have, want to protect our people. We have and, a client who, they have almost 200 employees. Phenomenal folks. We've been with them for 14 years and we love them. They just hired a director level position recently and it was like and they have a whole hr department everything else so they have all these extra layers and steps and stuff and we meet with ceo regularly and he's a friend of ours so we get those conversations behind the closed door and within about four months well the first time we met him we're like why is he on the team oh he's got all this experience i don't care if he's got all this experience he does not fit your culture he doesn't fit the culture (laughs) well there's something very wrong in about four or five months they finally let him go Wow. The CEO asked his HR department, how did he get past you? Because <laughs> what did, happened? Because while he was a nice guy and while he was had a lot of experience in this particular area, he didn't over and over it was said he didn't fit the culture. And so, you know, I think two lessons happened there. One, how important and critical it is to try and hire for that, but everybody makes mistakes. Mm-hmm. So that's why having this system on the backside where the hiring process, I think philosophically, doesn't end at the offer. It's the offer is only a part way through. 
because the rest of it is figuring out in real life scenario. And, and if everybody's honest about it, we all know that we we're not sure when I, I remember it's been a long time since I had a new job, but when I took a new job, am I really going to like these people? Is it really going to be a good fit? Right. You know? Yeah. And when we have clients, it's the same thing. Is this, this client interviewed really well for us when they asked us to take them on and beg them, but were they, are they really going to be nice people or are they going to be weirdos that are going to be a problem later? Well, and for leaders, Jenna, I think part of what's hard is hiring's hard. And so I think sometimes we want to, you know, short circuit it or do it faster. Get a body, get a warm body in the chair. And I think (laughs) when we're talking about, um, when we're talking about protecting your passion, Mm -hmm. And we're talking about you still loving where you work and having a great culture and stuff. It is a critical piece of the puzzle and you just can't rush it. You can't just get a warm body in the seat. It's just dangerous to do that. So, so really hiring well. And again, going back to the story we told earlier, we know what it's like when you don't. Yeah. And it's not even necessarily their fault. It's just like, they are not a good fit. Mm-hmm. I, they're not, I can lead well. Our personalities aren't actually meshing and, you know, they need far more structure than I am equipped to give them or whatever it is, right? It's just not fun when you hire the wrong people. Well, the one thing we love to do, we love the coming from a mentoring perspective. Mm -hmm. I mean, we love the mentor. All you have to do is say, Michael, Catherine, you got an hour for coffee. And we're like, oh yeah, (laughs) Uh, let me find it in my schedule because we want to be as helpful as we can. And we want to, if it's going to help you become more of who you are and discover more of who you are, that ideal self, we're all in. Well, when it comes to hiring, if a leader has a perspective that's not just selfish, not just this is what I need for our company, but I really am looking for a win-win, then all of a sudden I I start caring about you at a whole nother level because I want to make sure that I believe that if you're going to find your best job, or let's say you're going to have five different major jobs in your lifetime, And you're going to love them, but you're going to have five different companies for different reasons or whatever. I want each one of those experiences to use your gifts, your talents, your skills. I want you to feel like you have purpose and meaning in the job that you're valued. And I want you to be pushed to grow and to become a better individual and have opportunities to pick up new skills so that the next time you go to the next opportunity, things change in life. And quite frankly, a lot of changes happen that we don't have any control over. And so I want to set you up for success the next time around. So if I'm looking for that and I hire you and you are not a good fit for my company, I am actually doing you a disservice. I'm not helping you find that. I'm not helping you find a passion or provision job. I'm not helping you find that place where you're so engaged that you bring 95% of yourself to the game every day. And you're a delight to be around and you're, you go home thrilled and you can talk to your boyfriend and tell him you love your job. And then, you know, at some point, you know, you have kids and you start demonstrating to your kids what it looks like to have a job that is life giving and challenging enough for you that it, that it's not boring. And then how do you, and you get to demonstrate how you deal with challenges in life because it's worth dealing with the challenges as opposed to just leaving these because Mm -hmm. And in some jobs, you go, I'm out of here because these people do not care about even dealing with the challenges that we have. We're having conflict resolution. You know, sticking around because it's worth it enough. All of a sudden, what does that do for, for you and your relationship and your kids right. and everything else? And then, you know, I'm like, 
we need more great workers with great work ethics and skills. Mm. I'd really love it if your kids were being trained early on to have an image of passion and provision and to be wise enough to choose when they go looking for a job, what's a good company to work for and what's not a good company to work for. Yeah. And so we win, we all win. I want to do that for you. And then if it gets to the place where, you know, you have to leave town and you need another job and we're not going to do remote or our company, you know, comes to an end or there's no opportunity to move up or whatever good stuff. We all sit down and you say, it's time for me to leave. And we all cry. (laughs) Yeah. And I, and we say that because I've got a list of at least five or six people in the last six years, seven years that there are situations have come great opportunities have come along and they sit in our office and they cry saying, "Um, I have this great opportunity. I want to take it, but I don't want to leave here, but I want to take it. And these people are still our friends. And by the way, five or six um, is not, we're not a company of 200. So that's not a bad ratio for us. That's like, you know, we, we have seven employees at any given time at the minute. So yeah. <laughs> five or six have less. <laughs> that's our entire turnover rate. And our people <laughs> stick around a long time. Our, our longest employee has been here eight years wow. for us, nine years, yeah. seven years, the next one. And, yeah. you know, the only ones that have been here under three years are the ones that were hired within the last three years. So it's kind of neat, but that's how it went to go back to that first part of how do you keep passion, especially engaged in the company when employees are so important? And then how do you hire for that? That's that kind of ecosystem of the hiring process. When you look at it from a holistic perspective of the different things that need to happen and you don't rush it to put a warm body in a seat and you think about it from the whole perspective of how that could impact the entire company. And then you think about it over the life the lifespan of the employment of that employee, then you start to get into a system where it starts to become, it may be complex in the beginning, but it starts to become automatic. And if it starts to become second nature and you go, well, this is just it. And then everybody on your team, because they've gone through that, they take a lot of load off of your shoulders because they're protecting their culture. Mm, Yeah. And they're being very careful about who we hire. And they're being very careful about who they recommend for a position. It's amazing how sometimes we've had employees go, you know, we have a position open. Anybody have any recommendations? I have five or six people who've told me they want to work here, but I would appreciate it if you never, I can't tell them that they, I don't want them to work here, but when their resume is come across, please don't hire them. I don't want to work. And you're like, okay, that's gold. Because I get it. You don't want to tell people I would never work with you. You're my friend, but I would never work with you. No. Sometimes that's not easy to do, but they're really, they're going, nope, I don't want them here. Yeah. They're a good friend. They're not going to be a good part of this team. Yeah. And so while it seems like hiring can be really challenging with all these extra things that we're talking about, it's like anything. You go from being incompetent at something and not even knowing you're incompetent to realizing you're incompetent. And that's frustrating to learning to be really focused and having to do the hard work to try and be competent to getting to be automatically competent. And in that process, your team starts to take all the weight off of you or a lot of the weight off of you. And then it just kind of works holistically. Again, back to that word holistic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like when passion is done right, it just becomes like this collaborative Mm -hmm. growth that it kind of ends up to be multi-generational, you know, like 
impacting people for their lot li- their entire lives beyond just yeah. the company. Yeah. And that's, that's a quote that's right there. We'll right take there, that. <laughs> and that's really what we want. Because if you think about it back to that BHAG word, right? Mm-hmm. Part of what Michael described to you was the detailed description of passion and provision at work, which is Jenna raising a family, coming home to them every day, loving her job mm-hmm. and demonstrating for her kids what that looks like yeah. and impacting that generation. And so as we think about training people and helping them begin to think about what it looks like to build passion and provision, that is what we're thinking. We're thinking that multi-generational impact on families and communities because you don't have 74% of disengaged workers who are bored and cranky and don't like their job and just complain and whine and wah and right? Yeah. That's a miserable. So we really are thinking about the larger impact for families and communities as leaders step up to build companies that have both passion and provision. <laughs> okay, I just had so this why funny are you picture. Laughing at me? I had this he's laughing. Well, no, no, that was very there's a tear coming being, down my face. That was very he's, all I have in my head right now is that old Coca-Cola commercial from the 60s where they're all singing together and everybody, the whole world comes together because there's Coca-Cola. And I just realized passion for about Coca-Cola. <laughs> the whole world comes together all happy and wonderful. And it, so it makes the place brighter. a beautiful place with passion and provision. <laughs> we just need to film a bunch of people singing on a hillside. That's it. Yeah, that's all you need. And a frosty glass. (laughs) A couple of polar bears. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) A nice pint. A nice pint. The only other thing we didn't touch when Michael said three things, and so I just want to acknowledge he said three things, was the importance of um, the leadership component, which is if you're going to be a passion and provision leader, you have to be developing your leadership skills. And when we talk about that, and we talk about it in the book, we talk about it in our course, but we're talking about your inner game Mm. stuff. So recognizing what's happening in you and and growing your emotional mm-hmm. intelligence your um just your ability to interact with people your all leadership of those skills, things, leadership competencies. skills and then your outer game right which is how you would experience me as a leader and all of those things so we have a, a lot that we talked about with that because ultimately it's it's trickle down yeah. the leader is the one who establishes the culture the leader is the one who establishes the vision and reminds you why your job matters and reminds you that you're valuable and all of those things. So that leadership component is super, super critical. So passion and provision, we still have an entire second part of this interview to release all about provision. But before I let you guys go, I want to hear about the book. Tell us about the book. The book. The book. We're so excited about the book. So the title of the book is Fulfilled. And then the subtitle is the passion and provision strategy for building a business with profit, purpose, and legacy. It's so, coming out May 5th of 2020. And we are super excited. The ebook, the Kindle on Amazon is going to be reduced to 99 cents discount for that week. So you can get it for 99 cents in the week of May 5th, starting May 5th on a Tuesday. We're super excited <laughs> about that. Tuesday, we would love, we would that love. That would be Cinco de Mayo. We would like uh, keeping track. everybody <laughs> involved in the DM land to come over and check it out and pick up on that discount and help us out for that week. And then just dive in and it's going to be really fun. It's our first book ever. We worked really hard on it, got a lot of help. It is a collaborative work in itself. 
we are just so excited. It's like, this is finally something that for us to be able to take this book, it's probably a 10 year journey uh, with mentors saying, you need to, you need to start writing this down and thinking about writing a book. Mm. And then it probably took us once we finally started it, it took us another three years probably to go from yes, let's do it to actually having <laughs> actually a book. figuring out how to do oh it. Oh my God, we're writing a book. <laughs> oh, yeah, dear. we're writing a book. Yeah. And oh, wow, there's a cover and it's coming out and it's going to be printed and it's going to be on Amazon. So it's really exciting. It's a great book. It is, as it has been described, a step-by-step book. Yeah, it gives hope, but it's also got some really practical step-by-step ways to follow the model and grow in your competencies. Brian is uh, going to be on the back. He's on the back cover of the hardcover yes. for uh, one of his blurbs. And we really appreciate that. We have another uh, marketer out there. It's funny how marketers write things. You know, one of the other marketers that we know, he says, this is a riveting book. And <laughs> we're like, said, no, he said, he said, gripping, gripping narrative. Gripping, like, narrative. gripping narrative. I'm like, it's a business book. Come on. <laughs> I mean, I appreciate But it does that. have some really fun stories in it. I think that's good copy, but it's a little embarrassing when somebody's saying that about the business book. <laughs> It's a page turner. <laughs> it's a a dazzling introduction into the world of passion and provision business. <laughs> dazzling. Oh, I like it. Yeah, you know what? If you if you read the book, we'll uh, you know you can write that review for us. A dazzling introduction. So that's the book, and we're excited to uh, have that come out May fifth, and for everybody to rush over to Amazon.com and get it, and then to come back for the second part so we can talk about provisions. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you guys so really much you. for your time today. Yeah, this was, I learned so much and it was also just fun to talk to you. <laughs> well, it was fun to talk to you too. too. So anytime I can talk to a Jenna Catherine is a good day. Oh yeah. <laughs> and to everyone listening out there, it means so much to have a little bit of your day each week. Thank you so much for being here and we'll see you same time, same place next week. For part two, provision. Bye. Hey, DM listeners, if you're running a Black Friday or Cyber Monday special, listen up, because Digital Marketer just released our Canva holiday promo pack. It includes almost 200 templates that you can use to make the graphics for all your upcoming holiday specials and three unique design themes for each holiday. The promo pack is usually $27, but you can get it today for free. Check the show notes for the link to download, or you can go directly to digitalmarketer.com forward slash LP forward slash holiday templates. That's digitalmarketer.com forward slash LP forward slash holiday templates.